You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everyone. Welcome back from... The holidays, uh, and rejoining us on Enemy of My Enemy, I am Odie Jones. I'm Brian Waldman. I'm Sam Whittinger. And uh, we're just so glad to have you back. I appreciate everybody being patient with us. Um, it became very apparent we tried to schedule a couple episodes, and everybody has conflicting family stuff going on. And, uh, it, I didn't plan on the holiday break, but it just became apparent. And some of it was even on my end that I was like, oh, I would have to do it on this date. That We were just like, you know what? With everybody doing stuff, let's just have a clean slate, bid everybody adieu, and start the new year. Today we are talking about inflation um, and how exciting. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be great. Uh, it, it sounds boring. Um but we've rarely dealt with a more relevant topic to so many people. A lot of times when we pick topics, it's like, how many people do you think will care about this? And how many people are actually paying attention to Kenosha? And, 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 you know, of course those, the, they're, there's, they're important to research because they affect your philosophy for other things. But with something like this, uh, 77% of Americans actually say that inflation has, uh, affected them at least to some degree, and 37% say that it has impacted them a great deal. And that is a quote from the poll taken there at this is the Yuha News, Yahoo, <laughs> Yahoo News slash YouGov survey. Um, and it is, uh, they, they, you know. Of course, there's a lot of interesting data to, to kind of glean from this. But the bottom line is a lot of people are feeling the pressure from this right now, whether it's the grocery store, whether it's with your your rent, uh, housing prices, gasoline, car prices, insurance, uh, inflation, inflation makes the prices go up. So you are we are dealing with a lot of that. Uh, let me lay down just a, a few kind of boring statistics before I turn things over here. Um, so, so for perspective, in 2020, the entire year's worth of inflation was 1.4%. And um, 
we kind of to even get to to in, I'd say above three, but exactly three. You got to go all the way back to 2011 before you have an an inflation that that's at three percent. Now, libertarians, including myself, we're still upset during these times about inflation uh, because it's a uh, it 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 impacts prices and it makes things more expensive without ever without things having happened um i'm going to get into a little bit later why inflation can potentially be a good thing um because it's it's worth talking about but especially when it's artificial and centrally controlled like that obviously what happens especially in the case currently of inflation is the people able to take advantage of it best are able to get the prices at a lower rate. Then the inflation hits and then everybody else, which is usually the middle class and poor kind of have to pay the inflated prices on some of those things. So think about this 3% in 2011 last year, 1.4% this year. We're 1.4% January, 2021, February 1.7%. March 2.6%, April 2021, 4.2%. That number is ballooned all the way up until uh, the, the latest data I have was 6.8% in November. Um, we are looking at, um, most of us won't have been born the last time I'm looking at this. We have had inflation like this. Um, you're kind of looking at some Carter area era statistics for some of these numbers. Um, but yeah, I was pre- yeah, I, well, remember I, I was, I was, I was eight, but I long, remember it. long time ago. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, Ancient it has history. happened. Um, if you remember the Carter economy, you might not remember it fondly. And this is one of those reasons, uh, we won't get into Carter's hilarious corporate tax rate that I love to talk about, um, on this episode, but when you have inflation like this and you're just printing money, um, this this is the effect and we are seeing a lot of that. Um, this is the biggest, uh, let's see, as far as a single month, sorry, I had this data all in front of me and I got sidetracked here. But anyway, I'll just go and say it's a lot and I'm going to let Brian kind of give, give me some of your thoughts on uh, inflation, if you would. Inflation's great. It can be. Don't get me wrong here. Let me let me let me start out with that, and it's going to take everybody off. If I'm a band and I'm touring, and I go ahead and lease out a five thousand seat auditorium, and those tickets go for hundred dollars a piece because I'm awesome, and I sell it in ten seconds, what's going to happen when I sell ticket number five thousand and one? I find one more seat open and open it up for bidding. Having a fixed supply isn't a terrible. It is a terrible thing in a lot of cases. And the same thing is with money. It's supply and demand. I, that's really what it is. And I know a big thing with libertarians, and I'm going to sound here like full comradeship here, um, but really it has to be that there has to be enough demand for the supply. And for 2020, there was a bunch of demand for it, but now the supply is kind of out there. Um, we have a lot of people that aren't working, which is the big problem. Our labor participation participation rate is not one of the lowest it's climbing back up but post-covid it's still pretty anemic and nowhere near where it was uh before the trump administration came uh, came into office <clears throat> so th- th- we have a lot of problems going on with this economy right now 
<clears throat> they're naturally solvable. They naturally will go through and come, come through and the economy will pick back up, but it's going to be painful. And it's going to be painful mostly for the people that don't have money. If you own a house, if you're in your house a long time, long-term lease, you own a car, those things like that, all of those items have appreciated in value pretty significantly over this time frame. So you're actually sitting there going, this inflation stuff's kind of good, you know? Yeah, I'm taking kind of in the shorts when I want to go smoke a brisket or something. But if you have a crappy used car that just died on you and you're having to move into a, oh, by the way, artificially in increased rental market, because obviously we had the eviction moratorium, <clears throat> all of a sudden now you found yourself where things that were, you know, maybe $1,000 for rent, maybe that car was $2,000, now 50 to 100 percent higher plus now they're putting more restrictions on it more requirements so now all of a sudden you're sitting there going what the hell am i supposed to do and it's reality this is what inflation does if you're middle class or above you're you're liking this you're looking at your 401k you're looking at everything else and going yeah this is pretty good but if you're poor you're getting wow i'm really getting screwed and what happens when that happens? What happens? What does government do when that happens? Well, we're going to come in and save you. And what we're going to do? We're going to print more money, which is only going to make things worse. So, in a nutshell, the demand is there. It really is because the U.S. is a is a global currency. Uh, the U.S. dollar is global currency. There is demand in other countries. Other countries like Turkey have imploded on their currency. Um, but reality is is that. As long as there's demand there, we're okay. And as you saw in 2020, there was demand there. 2021, now there's a supply of money that's still out there. But because everything has gone up price-wise, nobody can do it. And we're going to see a big kind of pull back through. So, yes. And, yes, Jacob, I am wearing my Bears hoodie today. They won against the, one of the worst teams in the league. So I can wear that proudly. <laughs> Believe me, as a Broncos fan, when we rattle off the three wins to start the season against the worst teams in the NFL, I was happy. I'm, <laughs> I'm not ashamed. I don't care how bad they are. Uh, Samuel, your thoughts on uh, your thoughts on inflation? Uh, so basically, it's bad. There's two types of inflation. Um, I think that get kind of confused. There's price inflation, which mm -hmm. isn't always bad, and then there's a monetary inflation, which I think is always bad. Uh, price inflation. If you're selling something, you want the price to inflate because it's worth more. And if you're, yeah. And if you're buying something, you want the price obviously to be cheaper. The other cool thing about inflation that I could maybe see monetary inflation is if you have a lot of debt, that's great because your debt is going to decrease. So I always tell people that I'm investing in debt when I used to own three houses. I'm not, I'm down to two, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's see what else that uh, Milton Friedman. I think he had a great point when he said taxes or I mean, uh, inflation is like he compared it to a drunk person where the benefit comes quick and like the the worst parts come later. And um, when you're getting the drunk off of, you know, alcohol, it, it's the exact opposite. So like the worst things come first and then the benefits eventually come later. And so. Every time they print a dollar, um, your dollar just becomes worthless. So it's a, it's a very high tax on people who are saving money and the people who rely on 
you know, a little bit of savings in their bank accounts aren't the people, the rich people who own several houses or are invested in all sorts of things. It's the people that, you know, maybe saved a few bucks. Or the other weird thing is, you know, you're now getting paid $15 an hour. That's pretty good. And everyone's really happy about that, except the inflation hits. And it's like, this isn't, I can't live off of this anymore. And uh, there's a big delay in um, adjustment to inflation as well. And then there's also what's called the Austrian theory of the business cycle, where it causes a boom bust. Um, So it's like um, they've used the example of like a brick layer building houses. He builds, he orders enough bricks for 10 houses and he thinks, he has enough bricks for the houses. And so he, he starts building all these houses and he finds out um, he doesn't have enough bricks. So he has to tear down one house and use it on the other houses. And that causes a lot loss of time and, and effort. So there's a big uh, adjustment that the entire economy has to make because prices aren't just um, how much you have to pay. They're also signals for um, how much stuff is worth and what you should do with your time. So without prices, you know, I might think I'd be a great musician or I might be a, a great comedian because I have no way of knowing that I'm not. But with prices, tell me, you know, are people willing to pay money for this? Is it worth my living? So prices are very important. And when we mess with prices, we're we're screwing up the entire economy. Yeah, we're trying to say, please buy this, uh, even though it's not worth it, or don't buy this, even if it is worth it, anytime you kind of dip into those those sorts of things. Um, you know, fi- finances, financial, especially currency, it's a lot more complicated than economics. I was surprised at how easy it was to pick up a book on economics and just be like, I understand this without any previous training. And I remember the first time I picked up the theory of money, money and credit by Ludwig von Mises. Man, I, I I set it down about like a quarter of the way through it and was like, I'm not I'm not good enough to understand this yet. Like I just do not I don't have it yet, you know. And it takes a while. And 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 I understand it now to the point that I understand there are intelligent ways in a market-based banking system to inflate or deflate your currency based on Mm -hmm. customer demands, right? Or or I guess not, Mm -hmm. you don't inflate or deflate currency, but you, you use the currency to inflate or deflate, you know, the prices of other things. And I could see that, like, I understand that. The problem is, is when you put it in the hands of politicians, the incentive is, well, I want to do things and spend and not, oh, hey, remember that? like all that spending we did a while ago, it's time to retreat a little bit. You know, it's time to kind of withdraw back in. The drawback in period never comes, right? Like it has not come in so long. The last time, like, you know, we, we it's funny, they measure inflation. Well, ideally, kind of like a like a healthy stock market, even if it may generally increase over time, there's a time, there's time for necessary declines so that people can buy right? So that people can buy into it. And then you get to be part of that sailing up process. If it's only up and up and up, there's no point, right? Because it's just, well, I guess there's a, it's a good point and it looks good, but if everybody else is going up at that same price, nobody's actually benefiting because all the money is going up for everybody. And so then all of a sudden that toaster that you got, that's $50 and then it's a hundred dollars and then it's $200 
because that's just what your currency is worth. And it's more of a reflection on the currency than the actual product itself. And the product itself is what economics measures the currency and the money management. That's a whole that that that's this whole business here that we're talking about today. And it is complicated. But to make it very simple, uh, and, and Sam, you touched on this a little bit, the, the adjustment period that happens is when we print off a bunch of money, well, prices don't reflect immediately. It takes a minute because the money's not all there yet. And so they say, well, this is what we have and this is what it is. And this is money that's owed elsewhere. Uh, there's a lot of people that think that the debt doesn't matter um, or doesn't impact our currency as much as they think. There are some who over-exaggerate debt, and I understand that. But when you have money that is promised to be paid off elsewhere, that is that is evaluated when people are set, setting prices because it adjusts the amount of currency that actually is available to spend versus how much is actually due somewhere else. And so when we rack up these debts and we print off this cash, things get more and more expensive and unfortunately, it hits the people on the bottom really hard. Um, and right now, it, it it's tough. Uh, there, there were a few months ago when people were still kind of in denial about this. There were several headlines about, um, oh, inflation is actually going to be really good for the poor. It's going to be a good thing. And, and oh, inflation is going to yeah. be it's going to be really helpful. This is actually a really smart time to inflate the money. I remember reading something. And again, these people have college degrees. So, you know, if I'm just trusting the news, I don't know. You know, sounds good to me. Sure. Like, I, I guess this is the way it is. And and um, I'll believe this guy who has a degree because who am I? I'm just some. I'm just some guy who who has a podcasting channel who writes about video games and I'm not I'm not nearly as qualified as these people. But the thing is is I knew it was wrong when I read it. And of course now um you're finding that they are heavily redacted. You'll you'll find that some have removed these uh, articles entirely. Others have so far adjusted the articles that it's like not even the, it, it's nowhere close to what it says anymore. The title's all different. Thank goodness screenshots are forever and for social media keeping it around. Way but you know, they said, this is getting what's that? And Wayback Machine. Right, in yeah. the Wayback Machine. Exactly. That's yeah. the big one. It, it's, it's funny. I, I do want to just say one thing, Hody. Yeah. There are worse things than inflation. Whoa. There's stagflation, where basically Oops. you have inflation along with declining economic growth. Yes. Which is then worse for a whole bunch of people. And I lived through that in the 70s. I distinctly remember when my parents were various times unemployed. Uh, and if there's no economic growth, there's no job. If there's no job, guess what? Um, but then number two, deflation. Deflation is terrible. Uh, inflation is bad. Stagflation is worse. Deflation is, yeah, that asset you had. Yeah, it's not worth that anymore. And with all of us being mortgaged to our eyeballs and credit and things like that, deflation is the worst thing you want to have happen when you pull back on the money supply. Because when that money supply comes back, it doesn't quite make things worth more. The money's not there. It's buying. Guess what happens? We see 2007, 2008 all over again. When housing prices crashed, when the whole market just basically imploded and they were worried about liquidity issues in the, in the money market funds, uh, which was also a load of shit, but that's a different story. Um, but we don't want either one of those either. 
So yeah, it's a balancing act and it's a terrible balancing act and there should be better ways to manage it. But this is unfortunately how economics has been managed since pretty much forever. You know, you manage a certain supply of currency going in, you manage a certain supply of currency going out. And the reality is you want that to keep growing with more users, more people. If you have a fixed amount, that that's going to really hamper your asset growth and the ability to expand globally. So it's a balance. I, and out of the three choices there, uh, I'll take a little bit of inflation, not what we've had for the past year and a half, two years and the 25, 25% plus money that we've printed. But realistically, it's better than the other two options, which are really terrible and are probably coming, by the way. So if just in- FYI. <laughs> so if inflation, though, is good for certain times in the economy, like if you're going through, like, is inflation sometimes good and sometimes you need deflation and sort of a balancing act? But why, when do you decide to use inflation? When do you decide to use deflation? And why can't you just use inflation all the time? Because the reality is that you can get into hyperinflation. If I keep inflating the bubble, like what we did, if we decide to print another 20% of money next year, let's say Omicron comes out with the next variant and it causes your arms to fall off and everybody <laughs> stays home for a year. Uh, I could have said something else falling off, but that would probably get us <laughs> from, from uh, the podcast. Um, but if it causes your arms to fall, if everybody stays home, you, you need to do something. So we would have to do that uh jacob you stole my joke i was gonna use that joke when when when, when he said when Very he made nailed. the comment about mu- musicians and money i was like well then how's all this money coming into podcasting there's some terrible podcasts out there prices are how we know we are failed podcasters yeah I, i'm running this gratis everybody <laughs> but um getting back to i mean getting back to some of the notes i wrote down here um you know it's the one, one other thing I wanted to bring up here real quick was that um, with saving money and things like that, I have a question. Does anyone here really have a official savings account that they're looking at as kind of like a, wow, it's going to save me a lot of money and I'm going to make money with that? I, my, my credit union's offering 0.55%, which never beats inflation on any good day. So you better be investing at this point if you have money, unless you're putting it in a mattress. The mattress might be safer than the bank in some cases. Um, right, right. Yeah. And the other benefit is everybody wanted, remember when the $15 now, everybody fight for 15? Congrats, yeah. you got it. Oh, by the way, that cheeseburger meal now is eleven ninety five. <laughs> right. And this is and, this is what a lot of like inflation enables is like this, like, oh, yeah. We can rate increase your wages, sure. It's just also going to increase prices. Your rent's going to go up. Um, I know. I, I I don't think I've told the story on the podcast before, but when I was opening the store in uh, Seattle, uh, the Buffalo Wild Wings, um, there was a we had a bunch of people, and of course, you know, the minimum wage there's through the roof. I can't. I don't know if it's changed. I think it was like thirteen thirteen an hour or something um, like that, and it was also increased for servers as well. And I got to say, each of those people that we applied was ha- had to live like three or four to some of these apartments. Um, of course, yeah. I mean, Seattle and Washington kind of notoriously had some problems with that. It's um, worse now. It's worse. And I mean, yeah, could <laughs> I mean, could be worse. Now. I feel for him. I actually opened another. Uh, I actually opened a Texas Roadhouse in uh, Seattle's where well, where they actually turned it into a sizzler. 
got rid of your uh got rid of the servers you kind of order from a front thing because they're like we just can't afford those people so now not only wow. are those people not getting jobs at all but the ones that can get jobs got to have like four persons to an apartment I mean, we're talking, it, it was ridiculous. I felt bad for some of these folks because they're getting rides together and sharing cars. And it was probably the most, you know, I, I've been to Texas, um, Colorado, Utah, and Washington as far as like opening stores. And that was the, that was the, I, those people had the lowest standard of living of anybody that, that we'd had. And it's funny because Seattle's actually a very trendy city. Yeah. Um, but the people who are able to enjoy all that trendiness is, you know, they, they were, yeah. they weren't now. Yeah. Uh, white collar, white collar, Microsoft slash all the, you know, Redmond area, stuff like that. They're, they are slowly. Yeah. And that's what, that that's what these people kind of honestly want. They want that kind of, well, everybody's going to be a, a, a millionaire type of thing mindset and and we may you know technological progress will probably get us there where our our kids or our grandkids are probably going to be looking at the way we live now hopefully and be like oh that's nice uh, you had the internet good for you you know type of thing um but in reality a lot of these decisions are being made on coastal environments where it's just stupidly expensive to live in like out here in flyover country you can still buy a house for $125,000. You can still buy a house for $100,000. And if you want to buy a fixer, you can probably buy a fixer for seventy-five. dollars And people freak out about that. But then again, these are the same people that I'm talking to them, and they pay as much in property taxes per year that I pay on my mortgage and everything else. So kind of a balance here, folks. You know, we the COVID's been great for if you're a white collar and want to work from home. Move out here to flyover country. We're already seeing it. We're seeing people leave New York, California, uh, and going to places like Florida, Texas, and out here in flyover country uh, because the cost of living is just insanely cheaper. Yeah. Same quality of life, if not better. Yeah, and they found out how many meetings could have just been an email. Oh, God. Or Zoom and stuff like that. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I, I think Jeffrey Tubin messed that up for everybody, though, right? <laughs> people are scared not, of this. Not everyone can do a meeting, unfortunately, if you're a waitress at a, at, a, at a really good restaurant. But that's the other thing. Like, Cody, like you said, I went today to Costco to order something because um, I was in there picking up a couple things. And guess what? They don't take your order anymore at the front. You type in your order, swipe your card, boom, boom, boom. Way better. Um, yeah, it's way better. I love it. I, I don't have to sit there and go, I want this. And then they push the button that I'm fully capable of pushing the button for. So, yeah. And those jobs are going away, unfortunately, I want to say, to a point. And there's but, a necessary, you know, some jobs are just outdated. I mean, yeah. it's just, then that's okay. My, that's my job, I, I fully expect tech to replace my job in less than a decade. So I, I better figure out what the hell I'm going to do. Next. <laughs> I understand. Now, Sam, you asked the question when it's like appropriate to inflate and deflate. And yes, I think answer for, me, a lot of this has to do with what kind of technology is coming out um, and population are kind of the big two ties as far as doing it like intelligently. And if your population is growing, then you want more people to have money, you know, and, and money. You're not, you're not so if everybody... Yeah, no, and and wow. and and I I know you're kind of because uh, when we talked about this in the chat, <laughs> you're never going to print your way to 
replace no. economics, right? Like this is, and you can't delete your way to economics either. Stuff is stuff. That is not going to change. That a TV's goodness is not going to be change what it is to me, no matter what's going on with money right now. Either I, I enjoy what, TV or I don't, you know? I will say with the growth of population, there is an extent to where you do need enough money for the entire, for people to right. participate in the system. Right. So and, like, and you, if I and you, had one dollar in the whole system, it'd be kind of hard to, to work it that way. But yeah. as long as there's enough money in the system for everyone to have, you know, at least enough money to, like, if everyone had a dollar, that would pretty much work. You could break it all the way down to cents and all of that. Sure. And go ahead, Brian. But we can't just look at it as a U.S. perspective because the dollar is the world reserve currency. So if there's enough demand globally for it, then there's enough demand to be able to pump it up. We're going to see it here more in the U.S., but our dollars are going out of this country, which you know most people are terrified by, but it's actually a good thing. Yeah. It means that we can outsource businesses that we don't want to run. You know, There's things that we want to run, there's things we don't want to run. And we can outsource that to other countries. And yeah, a lot of this is going to China, but China's going through the same problems, if not worse, than what we are because of their growing middle class. Their middle growing or middle class is putting a lot of pressure on the Wuhan so that it has to be able to keep up with their demands for liquidity. And if that liquidity can't keep, if they cannot keep that going and that value of that Yuan keeping going forward, what's going to end up happening is you're going to start seeing economic problems where it's going to start to constrict the economy which they'll never admit to unless of course maybe one of their major real estate holding firms decides to go belly up for just some odd reason you know that might be a bad sign china's but, uh, actually a net deflator since 2019 they're at almost two percent deflation um there's only a few countries you know because most of them are doing what we're trying to do and print their way to wealth and others are kind of trying to you know, they figure since the economy's shrinking with lockdowns and stuff. Anyway, they were like, you know what? I guess this is as good as time as any to do a little deflation. Uh, um, just for fun, do you want to know what the inflation of Venezuela is compared to the the number two highest ranking inflation? Which year? Which year? Which year? I just quick Googled it, but it's Venezuela's at 200,000 yep. annual inflation. Wait, percent? Next, yeah. <laughs> the next the next closest is 161 in zimbabwe yep and then yeah. turkey's going to be in <laughs> there so if it's a recent list turkey's going through the I'll same inflationary crisis right now the lira has just plummeted brazil and turkey are both are kind of sitting around the six percent range uh, uh, of turkey turkey sorry I, since 2019 yeah right? since 2019 yeah. turkey in the last two months has uh, has gone through all sorts of hell and it's going to be like the RAND in South Africa. It's going to be like a number of these other borderline currencies. We're going to see those currencies crumple yeah. this year because of the, right. the U.S. dollar being pumped so much. As people have less belief in their systems, what's going to end up happening is that they're not going to do that. And they're not going to use it. And that's going to further, even if they pump more money into it, if people aren't using it, you got to start pulling it back. And remember what I said about deflation. Deflation is the worst thing you want to have happen. And that's exactly what's going to happen in those countries. So, so do you think we're doing other countries a favor by printing money that basically devalues the money that we're giving them? 
Oh no, we're not doing them. We're not doing oh, these yeah. these kind of bordering countries to fail uh, any favors. Uh, they're they're going to go through all sorts of hell. Um, yeah. The, the question is, are we accelerating their failure? The rand was is going to fail. Um, if you want to short a good currency, the South African currency is probably the best one. Uh, they're not going to be able to service their debt if they can't already. Um, the the rand is falling through, and if you go to South Africa and things like that, they want you to pay in dollars. Because they know that that's going to keep its value. So, um, you know, it's not as bad as Zimbabwe. But, yeah, we Turkey was the warning sign. Those other countries are going to start seeing cards falling with that. And then, of course, it leads us up to the euro. But that's an entirely different mess that we don't want to talk to. And, and, that, and we probably crypto. want to keep that one up. Crypto, the only problem I have with crypto, again, is that if it's a really good inflation hedge been like one of the biggest u.s inflation uh periods uh probably 30 40 years now why isn't crypto just kept up with it i mean it's gone up it went up early but it's been going trending downward it's kind of had some peaks and stuff like that it's not keeping up and the problem is with crypto of course there are so many different ones now yeah it's more of a speculation market than it is anything else at this point <laughs> Yeah, it's true. a commodity, essentially. It's a it's a commodity market. You know, you might sell, you might sell a barrel of oil. It'll probably get you a better return. And it's so easy to invest in. And honestly, has probably not much working value at this point. I don't know. I mean, I've invested in, in uh, I, I decided to invest a little bit into Bitcoin. And it's, it's embarrassing all my other stocks that I have. Uh, it's just, and, and really? it, it does go up and down. And I give that to you. But I know like the, you know, the 200 that I put in, you know, like five years ago and then like the 5,000 that I put in two years ago. And then, oh, yeah. No, that's you know, all that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a, a ridiculous amount. And it, yeah. it goes through ups and downs like you wouldn't believe. I mean, this is mm -hmm. this is kind of the nature of cryptocurrency in general is you got to be either really quick to buy and sell. Or you got to just be putting it in there and willing to just be like, you know what? I'm just not going to look at it because this thing is right. going to go ballistic. I mean, it is, it is indeed ballistic. Now, you would want some kind of consistency for it as far as using it as maybe a generic currency, oh, yeah. um, for sure. Right now, it's more – and like you said, it's a um, – it's kind of like a referendum on existing dollars, so to speak. So when other countries kind of screw up their wages – you know, cryptocurrencies tend to go up. And then as they kind of reach some kind of, you know, s solidarity, things kind of go down. Um, but that's just a tendency. Obviously, nothing's 100%. There's a lot going on behind the scenes as far as who's buying and selling what, uh, whatnot. Um, now, as far as deflation, uh, Sam, uh, now, obviously, we don't hope for a decrease in population. And generally speaking, when you look at deflation, um, you're not looking at happy times in human history. Uh, the last time we did it was 1933. Uh, that's the tail end of the Great Depression. We actually did from 1930 until 1933. And nobody's going to look at those times as like, oh, those are the great times. Those are the good times. Now, is there a, like an intelligent way to do it? <laughs> yeah, sometimes, but it doesn't often rear its head. The best that I can point to is if you have technologies that are less expensive, replace an older and outdated technology. And that's to say like this thing that costs $200 
replaces this $200 million industry or something like that. Um, that's the best that I can come up with as far as like the smartest times to do it. It is so complicated that if I were to try and tell you exactly like everything that goes into these numbers, I, I, I would be a scam artist because there are people that pen pages and pages of books the size of the Bible about monetary solvency and they're worth reading. I've read a couple. They are smart books. Um, and so there, there's, there is a complicated force at play here. But that's kind of as best as I can put it generically. Um, the other issue, and, and I guess I'll let's go ahead and finally get libertarian on this. Um, politicians and central banks and corporate interests are probably the, least, the people you least want in charge of this process when they control it for so many people. Um, I understand having a couple people in charge of making that decision. I don't think it should be a democratic decision whether to print money or not um, because people, it, it requires some intellect. It requires a lot of speculation. It requires a lot of knowledge. It requires value assessment um, that there should be experts that are in charge of this. However, this is kind of why you need a diversification in currencies as opposed to a singular currency because one side can say we're going to take this risk another side can say we're not and people can keep themselves safe by saying well this is the currency that i'm going to use and this isn't um there's i think people tend to go all the way back to like when we're trading in uh what i mean early americas where there's like 14 different prices on every store window because there's so many different currencies and we act like that's like a scary venture now at the time it wasn't ideal uh, certainly. And I, and I understand the problems that came about because of that time period without, you know, when one currency would bottom out and people would kind of do some falsifications of, you know, they, they would falsely invest in one and, and change the price and then move towns. And then before it hits the next town, they move up. We're kind of in a more electronic age now. And I think we should probably, uh, utilize those advantages. Um, but at least, you know, I believe it's called the free banking system. Even if you're all dealing with dollars, there are different dollars issued by different banks. And those banks can be accountable for the dollars that they issue. Um, right now, you don't really have much of a choice. Uh, I love cryptocurrency and, and I hope that it succeeds, but I can't pay my employees. With, I'm not, it's not legal for me to do so. I have to use an American dollar if I operate here in the United States, you know? And so there, there, there are these things that I just say, if this gets decentralized, let the market figure out some solutions. I don't, I don't want, I, I guess I enjoy speculating on what it is, but I almost feel like it would be wrong to do so because there would be thousands upon thousands of solutions. And I feel like the market would end up kind of choosing the best one. Uh, based on consumers and investors, as opposed to based on who wants to get elected and what we want the economy to look like right now. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that's kind of all I had to say about uh, about inflation. Uh, Sam, Sam, you've been very patient and very quiet. Has anything that we've said here kind of struck a chord uh, with you? I'm just trying to wrap my, my mind around it all. Um, to me, I don't think you should ever have to inflation inflate or deflate a currency without it just naturally happening um like from a centralized location even if it's like a free market type 
I like your idea of having multiple currencies where you can just invest in one or invest in the other. That makes sense to me. But even then, I don't see why you would ever have to mess with it at all, really. Um, I know I never really understood it, but I was listening to Rothbard talk about, you know, different species back in the beginning. And he said there was a big problem with um, um, like these towns and stuff. They would just issue a currency and say, you have to use this currency. And then they would inflate it. And that's always where the problem came. But when they didn't, they would just use whatever money they wanted to. And good money would push out bad money. So to me, <laughs> that's the way I see it. We should have a, a really long conversation. Or maybe I should read one of those crazy long books. But um, yeah, I... You're... But yeah, that's, I can't get past that, that view, I guess. So. It, it's the safe way to go. It's not... Like and and so what you're saying isn't necessarily wrong, Sam. If that's your preferred method, that they print off X amount and maybe they print off more just based on population trends, but that way, you know, prices will still, of course, go up or down rapidly. If you you know, just because you've got a new thing in the system and then new things happen in the system all the time, and so when you've got something new, you know. I think the the reason that people would want some degree of inflation is because they said, well, I still want this burger to cost this amount because the person who makes that burger, I still want them making a certain, that amount. But I want to also add, like we just discussed on top of this burger making that exists and we like this system, we've just added lawn mowing. Well, I don't want lawn mowing to come at the expense of burgers. If I don't have some kind of inflation in place, then... That is but going inflate, to. You're not printing money, though. You're print. Or you're printing money. You're not printing value. So you can't get the burger and the lawnmower. But if you get the burger and the lawnmower, you're later going to discover that you overspent, and that's how you get like these depressions and boom bust cycles. There would be a boom bust cycle, but I, I think the thing is, is like what we say is, if I print extra money then the price system stays the same. The price and wage system stays, stays in place for the burger guy while also allowing room for the lawnmower guy. As opposed to, here comes the lawnmower guy. Sorry, burger guy, you're going to make less and therefore also get paid less. And that's kind of the one... Again, I don't want this to come off at all as a pro hyperinflation episode this inflation rate that we're at right now is ridiculous and it is hurting a lot of people i mean and you know when when you've got 37 percent say they've been impa impacted in a significant way yeah that's uh, for some people it might just be like oh i have to buy the cheaper milk now or i have to right and that's still negative don't get me wrong i i dislike the trend of saying I have to keep downsizing. It's an appropriate thing for some people to do sometimes, but when it's because somebody else mismanaged money that you didn't have any control over, that's really not cool. You know? So like I, I am, I don't want people to come away thinking like, Oh, you know, like this rapid inflation, this is going to be great for the economy. That's no, terrible. It's terrible. It's, it's, it's good for some people, but not the people that I know and not the people that I think that most of the people who would listen to this podcast know. But there is an intelligent way to go about it. And I think what Brian, what Brian has mostly been describing in this episode is some of those 
ways is like there is a smart way to do it that makes room that understands that populations grow that new technologies come along and we don't want we don't want these new technologies to conflict with technologies that I'm not, I'm not saying the comp the competition. Cause I do think that like, you know, Hey, who has the best streaming service? Yeah, that should compete. But I don't want the streaming services to take away from the fact that I also like cheeseburgers. You know what I mean? Like, I think that these two need to be the same and keeping those money levels the same. It requires some really smart stuff. We also should probably talk about how money gets put into the system because that's the other problem with inflation is we give it to big banks and yeah. those get brought out to a loan that you owe back to the banks, but the bank didn't do anything to produce anything to begin with. Right. You know, that's not fair. And so that is a very unfair way of these dollars to enter the system okay. as opposed to being given to the people that, you know, if you were to do it any kind of ethically at all, you should give it to everybody. So that that way they're, you know, hey, we're going to print $200 million. Fine. Split that among all Americans because that's whose prices are going to be affected. Instead, they give it to central banks and yada, yada well, from there. Now, you can say the central banks have some necessary dealings. And I understand that they do some things that are uh, important to this economy. But I find this economy to be very uh, unethical. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's going to be always, it's always going to be unethical because the banks are looking to maximize profit margin. Now, the one thing I wouldn't want to see happen, uh, if you wanted to nuke the real estate market really quickly, mm. go ahead and jack up in, go ahead and jack up interest rates to what they were 30 years ago, where you were paying six, seven, eight, 10% for a mortgage. I want you to think about that. That your mortgage rate, let's say you buy a two hundred thousand dollar house and a ten percent mortgage, you, you take a look, think what your house payment would be, and that money would be pure profit going into the banking system, who then would be paying for the feds, and that's why the feds figured out a long time ago that we need to keep the housing market kind of artificially small, very cheap loans. Those banks essentially are getting the money for free from the Fed, and then loaning it out at two percent and things like that. They make money on it, but that also stimulates people to, one, buy bigger homes, buy more homes they need, but allows more people to be able to buy homes. Uh, they flip that switch and that, that would end up nuking the economy completely, even worse than 2008. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of unethical things going on. Yes, they could have done probably 10 things completely different with COVID, but it didn't happen, unfortunately, because... Came along too quick, and the people that were writing those bills, well, they were owning the big banks. They went, how can we make some money off a good crisis? And they figured out how to do it. Yeah, I've, I've kind of already delivered my uh, my final words about this one. Uh, Samuel, why don't, why don't you go ahead and give us uh, your final thoughts on this subject? I disagree. <laughs> oh, no, well, um... This might not be final <laughs> thoughts after all. Yeah, hit us. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... It... It's coming back to the same things as I've kind of already said. Um, you know, you're, you're you're not printing. You're just printing paper. You're not printing value. And so, if you're, I haven't thought through the whole loan system exactly, but you know, the banks, if we're giving them artificially low loans, they're making a whole lot of money. Yeah, I'd have to. I'd have to think that through. I mean, a lot of the banks don't yeah. even get loans at all. They just get the money, and then well, they, they give get, it out via yeah. loans. I mean, it's, yeah, it's 
and there's all sorts of things that they could have done differently. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but. yeah I mean, you know, Those are my Sam, even if we can't change your mind about it, Sam, I think the thing is, is it's we should we probably deserve a system where one guy says, hey, I will never mess with this currency and here it is and enjoy. And another one where somebody says, yeah, I'm going to be all over this currency and try to right. manage it as best I can. And people well, should be able to choose which one they'd like to use. Isn't, isn't that the kind of thing with Bitcoin yeah. too, where it's just the currency, yeah. you can't mess with it or anything? Isn't that the attraction well, for it? I, I do want to point out. Yeah, I want to point out. <laughs> a little bit of inflation when they mine, but. <laughs> there's, there's, well, it's, I did want to point one thing on Bitcoin is that they actively did consider increasing the supply of Bitcoin 2016, I think it was 2017, where they're going to change the bid value that would have essentially doubled the amount of Bitcoins available. They talked about it and they vetoed it. And that's why we saw the sudden spike in prices and stuff like that. So that that was a good thing if you were holding on to Bitcoin, but if you were trying to get into it, yeah, you, you missed the boat. Sorry. But that's also you can still then buy what's... Bitcoin. You just can't buy a full Bitcoin, right? Exactly. But that's also what started also the the competition towards all the other altcoins or the pejorative to describe some of those coins um, that that people are investing in, which has diminished the value of Bitcoin because there's competition. So Bitcoin has to get better at being a real value and a stable value. Because like those NFL players who got their contracts paid in Bitcoin, depends on when they got paid on it. Because some of them right now probably 20% pay cut, just like the rest of us did with the U.S. economy. So, yeah. Brian, did you have any kind of final thoughts that you wanted to drop on this? No, one? I've been interrupting everybody. So, it's okay. stuff, so. <laughs> as long as you feel like you've gotten a lot of your system. All right. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, keep Keep tuning in. Sorry, I don't want to make this sound like we are done. Uh, hang with us for just a minute here, and we are about to get into uh, a piece of my mind. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And thank you so much for hanging with us through the break. Uh, peace of my mind today. I am going to start. Um, my family got hit with the COVID. We did. Uh, we strongly suspected that's what it was in case you're hearing me cough and if I always hate uh, that it makes it, I always feel like my voice when I am sick sounds like I'm trying to be more masculine than I am. Me. I am the same deep voice, like I am the same high pitched voice I always am. I am not trying to uh, uh, hit 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 low notes and sound like I'm more of a man. That did not. I did not get hit with testosterone over the break. Uh, this is just simply what's going on and. I can I can kind of hear it get worse as I as I get as as I keep yapping, but I can't stop myself. I think that's the libertarian thing to do. I just I'm going to talk until I dig my own grave on this one. <laughs> um, but you know, it it did hit me. Um, it did hit our family. Um, everybody kind of has a different experience with it. Um, we had two vaccinated and two unvaccinated persons in our house. Um, we all kind of 
got hit about the same way. Um, Jamie managed to elude it for like the first two days when everybody else was kind of sick and then she ended up getting it. So thankfully we got to take turns taking care of each other. Um, I am at about day four or five on this one. And um, at this point, it's not much more than a, a sore throat when I wake up that none that a little mucinex can't handle. Um, I, it was miserable for a day. Uh, I would say for one day, I kind of had like a really high fever, like kind of hitting the 102, 103 range where I was like sitting at the computer and sweating myself. And then uh, I went to sleep and I woke up and my temperature has never come back since. Thankfully, when I woke up, I was like, wow, I feel OK. My head's all right. So um, I kind of overshare that because I find that swapping stories about COVID kind of helps demystify it for some people. Um, you know, just to know, like, maybe what you'll expect is that maybe something different. I know for, we all got a little bit of, uh, different symptoms. Um, the one we got it from, so the kids got it from their dad and he actually had like the barfing and the diarrhea. We, none of us had any of that. Thank goodness. Um, we all got a little bit of the achy muscles. Some of us got a leg, some of us got arms. Um, one of them lost taste um one yeah but only one of us um i think i was the only one that got the temperature that got the fever real high um but that did go away after a day anyway um so that's kind of what i've been doing but it kind of made me kind of sit back and and think about how i'm already going to be botching my new year's resolution because i can't work out like this and be all contagious and go to my gym i that would be very uh that would be very messed up uh, to go and get a whole bunch of people sick. So I need to wait on that one. Um, but I wanted to talk about New Year's resolutions um, just because I think it would be fun. I don't really have a libertarian uh, slant on this one. I just think it would be fun conversation. Um, I am going to try this year. I'm trying something new. Um, those who have followed me have seen, seen me be very sexy when it comes to March, April, May, and getting that like almost six pack going on and like dunking the basketball. And then they see me turn into a total fatty. And by the time I hit November, I am about 70 pounds overweight. And I do this every year. I, I just, I don't know what it was wrong with me. I have a tough time dieting because my whole point of the diet is to stop the diet. Like the, you know, the, the, I start the diet so that I can stop dieting eventually, right? Like that's my goal. And I'm trying for the first time this year, and I'm actually very scared about it, um, to just be normal, to just say, I'm going to eat a normal amount and it'll be okay. Because I think for me, the scary part is I know that the crash dieting works. Like I know that I can, I can hold my breath, work out really hard, eat next to nothing. I usually go full keto. And then by the end of February, I am looking really great. And I can drop, you know, 50, 60 pounds. And I mean, sometimes it takes me three months, let's say, but you know, just being like no cheat days, working really it's pretty hard. Impressive, though. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, <laughs> it, and it's wild. If you look through my social media, you know, it, it's very obvious on what, what you can almost tell what time of the year it is by my chin. 
you know, like when, when I start getting the double going, it's like, oh, Hodes, it must be like, it's about December time, isn't it? You know, and then when I, when it's May, I get this very gaunt face and it's like, wow, he's looking really good. Um, and, and so I'm trying for the first time to just say, you know what? I'm just going to count some calories and just be normal and to just see if I can stay normal to avoid going through this, this process anymore. And I don't, I don't know. I'm worried about it. <laughs> I, won't, I won't lie. I'm worried about it, but there's not much, I, you know, I've, I've been told that this is a healthier way to go about life as opposed to these crashes and, and peaks and whatever it takes and if it doesn't work out, I'm going to crash again. I have no problem just being like, if I don't see results in like two to three months, I'm just going to crash and then forget about it. But uh, I don't know. I, I need, I probably need some good systems in place and like groups to join and record my progress and stuff. Cause I think what I need to do is I need to be okay with like losing a pound a week, which seems very little. <laughs> um but I also need to be okay with saying like, hey, it's all right to go through a time where you eat half a pizza as opposed to a whole pizza or no pizza. I need to be a guy who's able to eat half a pizza. And I, I don't know. I'm scared, but that's what I'm doing this year. Or what are you guys doing this year for your resolutions? Or if you have any, or if you hate resolutions, go ahead and go on that. I, I'm good with that. I used to hate resolutions until I realized that uh... – well, it used to be everyone did a resolution, so then I hated them. And now that I realize most people don't do resolutions and hate them, now I'm all for them. <laughs> Not really that shallow, but um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I probably am. Uh, but yeah, I um, my first of all, my birthday is always New Year's Eve, so I I've got like a full year for my birth year is the same as the year and everything. But uh, I guess my goal, I was thinking of like switching up like my morning routines or, or just building like a good routine and like challenging myself once a week to one new routine and keep it for a week and see if I like it. So that's what I was thinking. And then I've, I also tried, I, I have trouble with like focus and stuff like that. I've always grown up with AAD. So I tried the carnivore diet for a couple months and feel really amazing. And I, I lost weight, even though I'm not really the type that puts on weight. So that was kind of crazy. I think most of it was just water weight from all those carbs holding water and stuff. But mm. yeah, so if you guys know of any great routines to add in, um, you can put them in the chat or something. I'm, I'm you like workout routines? No, like, um, well, like drink coffee in the morning or don't drink coffee for a week or oh, you know, like oh, okay, when, you, okay. when, when you wake up journal or you know all those little <laughs> little pieces of advice everyone always gives you i'm just gonna try like 52 of them this year so okay i got a good wow. one i know someone that does coffee enemas of course they're batshit crazy but they do it like every week so i mean if you're looking for a good habit to <laughs> yeah or the people that there's some uh salt sup they just drink I forget what it was like pickle juice or Al oh it's alkaline water. No, it's it's um cabbage juice and it's just a ton oh. of salt. So they drink that <laughs> and then they just sit on the toilet for a couple of hours. It cleans everything out and they do that. I know she does it like twice a week. <laughs> 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 kind of crazy. But, uh, yeah, I'm not doing that one. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll skip that one. <laughs> I I don't my my of course I'm a big fat dude, white dude. So you know I've done a lot of stuff here and there. Um, my goal has just been just find thirty minutes to do something other than sit in front of a computer all day. Get out and work. I've got the bike over there, and I try to go out and walk, but. Um, I'm eternally paranoid of falling on ice. Uh, yeah, I've got good boots and stuff like that, but still I'm also kind of a wuss when it gets down to 20 degrees. So, um, that's the best thing. Indiana. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I've grown up in Midwest my entire life, but as I get older, I, I really start to hate winter with a unbridled passion. Um, so, um, but if you find a habit that you know just do it um the big problem i always have with resolutions is i always break them and i always hate myself for it so it's yeah kind of things of i already have enough self-loathing already you know? it's like, <laughs> what why why not add on some more while you're doing it you know just to make you feel better about yourself that, that you failed yet again so yeah. um yeah I, i've got some things i want to do this year and losing weight's obviously be the big one but uh it's it's tough, and there are some people who I sit there uh, and watch. Um, my son's girlfriend It's one of these people who could eat half a cake and not gain an ounce. And of course, I looked at the cake and I go again on the scale later, and I'm four pounds heavier. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's yeah. That's the one thing I guess that really bothers me also is that there's only one way to lose weight. There's billions of ways. Find the one that works for you. Yes. That is so the best diet is the one that works for you is a, a tip that I got. And I think that that's a really, that's a really smart one. You know, there's some diets out there that I just, even looking at them, I'm just like, there's no chance. Like keto will only ever be a crash diet for me. Yeah. And I think it's a great diet. I'm, my body looks amazing when I'm on keto. Like Sam, you talked about the carnivore diet. Like when you're just eating meat, and like get the, like get your high fats and proteins or whatever. Oh my goodness! Like I want to I want to model myself in a calendar. I, I I look so good, and I know I look good and I feel good. But then I'm just like, dude, it's only a matter of time till I eat pasta. Like I, I this is not a life change. This is going. I'm going to eat pasta again. I know this when I start it. I know when I start the diet, I'm going to end up eating like a cheese stuffed crust pizza at some point, and that's going to be the end of this diet. Or your sourdough yeah. bread. Oh yeah, sourdough that I make. Oh yeah, I do love some sourdough. Yeah, I'll have to. You know, the gym's the other half of this equation to do that in moderation, because that's the other part of this. Is not only do I half starve myself, but I, you know, I do two hour workouts at the gym and now I got to get used to saying, you know what? No, I'll go three times a week as opposed to five and I'll go 30 minutes a day instead of two hours. And that's yeah. it. I got to I need new routines. Is your wife it's, chuckling in the background? Yeah. Yeah. Jamie's <laughs> laughing. <laughs> she, um, Jamie's incredible. Uh, I'll go ahead and share this whether she wants it or not. Uh, Jamie's dropped about a hundred pounds since I have met her and she did it very quickly and she's kept it off and never looked back. And she, she does intermittent fasting. That's what worked for her. She eats all at a single time of the day. It keeps her stomach like the size of a golf ball. Um, 
and she looks great and it's incredible i i uh i mean she, you know and and she talked we we talk a lot about this and she's like i don't i don't see why you gotta why you gotta do this to yourself every year because you know she's done something that she can do consistently she visualizes hey for the rest of her life she can do intermittent fasting you know and that's great i just for me i can't like i i I, I hear the Cheetos start to call, you know, if I don't eat something and I'm like, well, that's the worst thing I could eat. So I should probably eat something. Anyway, I'm going off on this and this is, this is about as sidetracked as I have ever gotten on this show before, but I just, I didn't really have a point. I just kind of wanted to talk about resolutions, but uh, I think for me, it helps well, when I share them with people. So that way they can hold me accountable. Yeah, we will, we will go back to this episode and shove it in your face. If you don't, uh, follow whatever you're going to follow well i i tell you if i am still if i am above 200 pounds it uh we'll just we'll call it by next thanksgiving something's gone wrong and hopefully hopefully i can hopefully i can shrink shrink that up a little bit anyhow S samuel why don't you give us a piece of your mind today all right yeah uh i was going to talk about health too actually so Sweet. i should think uh yeah i started calisthenics which was kind of cool because um, i just never had time to make it to a gym and uh i never knew about calisthenics before and it's just like oh you just do push-ups and pull-ups and all this stuff and you just use your body weight and learn balance and i've been doing that it's actually pretty fun um yeah, and then I talked already talked about my diet. I should have been thinking of something else to talk about. Oh, I could talk about um, uh, just censorship. I know that Marjorie Taylor Green. I never really followed her on Twitter or anything like that. She just seemed like, oh, you didn't? No, I didn't. <laughs> and you call yourself a libertarian? <laughs> I, I never paid attention to her because she was just so crazy. I was just like, whatever. I mean, I mean, it's kind of like to make fun of her. It's kind of like tripping a cripple or something. Like it's just not. <laughs> <laughs> you get where you look I was gonna say she she makes us look back to Sarah Palin with yeah, uh, yeah that's yeah she does remind me of that even though I, like I've I've never even watched her like talk or anything I barely know who she is I'm just like I don't really care but um yeah um I've been I listened to those two episodes of Joe Rogan um where he's interviewing these what was it Peter McCullen and um. The other guy, Robert the, Malone, Ma, Ra, Robert Malone. Yeah. And uh, it's just it's crazy. I didn't even know that such high ranking doctors were having uh, dissenting opinions and being so vocal about it. I mean, I knew there was doctors that uh, obviously disagreed and like researchers and stuff like that. But the fact that these are sort of state endorsed um, corporation endorsed like these are. In, by every measure, these are the greatest doctors by the measures of the state and corporations that have ever lived in, in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, like the most peer-reviewed, the most just really high quali highly qualified doctors with dissenting opinions. And they're getting, you know, banned on Twitter. They're getting threats for their license to be revoked. And all these things that are happening to them. And it is, it's just very disturbing. And when it comes to the medical industry, when you think of how much the government is involved in it, I mean, just just even in the fact that doctors have to be licensed by the state, 
and they have to perform certain procedures according to these guidelines and everything. Um, I know like doctors have to prescribe medicines instead of prescribing food because they don't, they can't get insurance funding for just food. So if you, you have scurvy, which instead of just prescribing an orange, they would have to prescribe some sort of medication and you can't, and then there's also this whole, we could go into intellectual property, but we won't, of how intellectual property, like instead of, they'll create things and then they'll have a monopoly on them. And so they'll just be able to jack up the prices. And I don't know, I'm going on a tangent, but my main point is these people shouldn't be uh, censored and we should be more accepting of that. And we, we just need government out of these things because once you put government in these things they, it just warps the market in such a weird way that once you start looking at it, it's just like my gosh like how how different would health be without all this involvement or i even just look at like corn and bean subsidies which is also ties into health and you just look at like i'm in southern minnesota where it's just corn beans corn beans corn beans because they're subsidized hey hey hey, hey. <laughs> we got that here in indiana you're not just the only ones here no. <laughs> but i mean think about it. if you were like a american indian way back in the day and then you looked at our our world now you'd, like you'd be horrified and it's mm-hmm. some of that's just because we're you know we're feeding the world and i get that but uh the fact that we're we're just created these genetic half genetic plants that we just kind of grew like crazy and sprayed and all this stuff. I mean, it's not, it it ties into health too. It's just not healthy. I don't think, but anyway, that's my thoughts. I, I, a couple things that, yeah, the, the censorship (laughs) and that whole weird spiel. Yeah. No, no, there's a couple of good points there. Um, Number one, censorship is bad. Most of the time vast majority of the time, 99% of the time. Uh, the person who says, I want you to go out and kill blah, blah, blah. It's probably a good person to censor. Um, but it, it's just, it's funny how these big tech companies always kind of take the sides of, of someone who's extremely right or extreme. And I don't mean right isn't correcting as in their positioning. Um, it's their right to do so. Um, but it gets fuzzy when you have, you know, it apparently at the behest of possibly who's in charge of the media and things like that. We've seen a lot of competition in the media and it, it almost acts like what, what the behavior you're seeing is kind of like what you would see when you have a monopoly that's really worried about failing spectacularly and CNN, MSNBC, all these others who have very close ties to the government are acting in this way and the social media companies now realize that they're in a good position and they're acting this way meeting um meeting i'm sorry guys um meeting up with these companies um that they are tying into um for basically providing the um the framework of what the narrative is and if you watch the malone discussions things like that there's a framed name uh, framework that's coming out from these companies and the government that's being dictated to other companies to ban discussion uh, or at least push down discussion where it could possibly introduce vaccine hesitancy. Frankly, that's probably one of the silliest things that we should be doing at this point. Um, If you honestly think that the vaccine is 100% safe and things like that, if you have no 
you apparently have not been paying attention for the past 20, 30 years. Uh, I'll just say one word, Vioxx. They fraudulently, the FDA approved it. They fraudulently knew that it caused cardiovascular problems and strokes in people, paid out billions in fines for doing that. And it was only marginally better than taking a Tylenol. <laughs> so this is the thing that just amazes us, amazes me, is that people that buy into that there's never a narrative push and things like that. I know I, I kind of want to put on my Alex Jones hat here. It sounds crazy, but um, there, I work in a company that has a lot of government contracts, and there's a lot of worry about, yeah, pissing them off. So you don't want to do that. Um, getting back to genetic mod, genetically modified corn and things like that, and the soybeans you're talking about, uh, Samuel, I, I really think that's kind of a boon for it. We, we've developed food to the point now where we waste 30 40%. And we have no appreciable, and, and I mean, there's always going to be people hungry and things like that. Um, please, please don't get me wrong. I'm not yielding their plight, but we're not talking where 30% of the country is starving. We're talking about a single percentage point and probably below that on a regular basis. There's enough food out there that we're easily feeding not only the U.S., but most of the world as well. Yeah. I mean, and, and especially in the point of agriculture, and I'll start backwards with Sam's second point and move to his first, um, just because it's, it's a good place where you left me off here, is that when we talk about luxury economies, this is exactly it. The more you allow like luxury plants to grow, the more it, it, it frees up some of the staple plants for others to consume. Um, so one of the things that I learned from Cato's uh, uh, got this, had this great site. I'm not sure if they even still upkeep it anymore, but it was called like downsizing government. And I just had these fantastic slides uh, that talked about how like, yeah, we 90, we subsidized 90% of these crop of these five crops and the rest we, we don't. And so the, one of the biggest problems then is then because you're passing up on free money when you go for a crop that's not one of those because you're you don't get that subsidy you don't get the money so you'll have this great wine country or a, a great example is orange country in florida uh where they'll plant they'll take out all the orange groves and plant cotton because that's subsidized and orange is not even though the oranges are better you know and the cotton you could grow somewhere else but the they don't want to miss out on that cash you know, and then you've got places in California that do something very similar. They they take out some of the vineyards and they start growing soybeans because soybeans are subsidized and grapes are not. Grapes have a whole different. Um, there's a big grape thing that that I find uh, fascinating, and maybe we'll talk about it someday. Um, but but like that whole bit, but that that all of a sudden you just say, why these vineyards? All of a sudden we're getting rid of what we're actually good at. And this is where it manipulates the environment to the point where we're not working with the land. We're working against the land because we're trying to get these subsidies that we have. It's not healthy. It's not productive. And we're kind of making inferior products over what we should. Now we are a great cotton, uh, potato, uh, orange, grape country. America is kind of a cool 
place geographically because of how many biomes we have and and the things that grow here. And it's I think we should utilize all of them. So I don't want to I don't want to make a single generalization because it's actually a really cool country that we have as far as what can grow in different places. But the problem is when we have a single federalized government and they say, well, we'll subsidize these things. And then, you, you know, you go from there. Um, now, oh, hold on. What was Sam's first point? Oh, censorship. Here we go. So, yeah, uh, censorship is the best example I have. And Chris talks about this a lot. And I think he's just spot on with it. Because when the loose change 9-11 truthers, folks, they didn't, we didn't need to censor them. They didn't need to have their accounts banned. We didn't need to take down their YouTube videos. What happened is fo folks like the Smithsonian and modern science and other, you know, generic scientists would be like, here's the claims the kids made and here's why they're wrong. And then you kind of go, okay. And all of America, there's not, you'll notice there's not, there are still, of course, 9-11 truthers. Heck, we're libertarians. I'm sure we know a bunch of them. Um, it's still out there, but it's not this dangerous, they're going to take over government movement because what it, it all unfurled before everybody's eyes. We saw the debates. They were public. They were fantastic. I'm glad that they got debated. I'm glad everything got talked out. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad that it happened. The thing is the 9-11 truthers, those, I mean, people probably like will scarcely even remember the, the words loose change anymore because they're just people don't remember those create those content creators because they weren't empowered. Now, if the government immediately or social media immediately went about censoring all of these people, it empowers them. And people say, what is it that they are covering up? Because this is exactly what they warned us about, that they were going to try to cover us up. You know, it's not that our information's bad. It's that we're covering stuff up. And this is the problem. I mean, we look at two very prominent examples. If you made the claim that Kyle Rittenhouse was innocent, you had your account banned. And in fact, very, very directly, some people would just say Rittenhouse is innocent. And that just is a test with a sock account. And that would get you banned. And then you look at uh, those folks who say like, hey, it's worth looking at. Maybe the coronavirus came from the Wuhan. Now that that's kind of publicly acceptable, but what was the initial response? You got banned, right? And so what happens is this empowers you. Now, it's not just that these people are right or wrong, because believe me, there's a lot of people with a lot of bad information on there that don't get banned. Now, is there a power to this movement that says, oh, let's see, some bad information that, let me give you a piece of bad information that goes around, um, that you cannot contract the uh the covid if you've been vaccinated but you don't get banned right it's bad information but you don't get banned now what's been the result of that basically if you say it people call you a dumbass and they correct you and you that's that's it right that that's the end of the conversation you said your stupid thing people countered with their thing and then it moved on because all of these other things that we've been censoring and banning people before, there's an empowerment there. Unfortunately, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to wear this like a badge of honor. My guess is it's what she was going for um, with a lot of what she was saying. Yeah, you're spouting a lot of COVID nonsense. 
I mean, there's very few people that have, I mean, she's kind of been very Trumpian as far as like maybe like 20% of what I say is factually accurate kind of thing. Like she, she's out there. Right. But the thing is, she was generous, but go ahead. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But she was out there being dumb and people were out there exposing how dumb she was saying she was dumb. And then that's it. Now that she's been banned, people say, well, she knew something they don't want you to know. What is it MJT knew? You know, what was it that got her banned? Oh, it was that she, you know, that this treatment actually is more functional than, you know, and now we're going to have this whole undercurrent and this power. Like I mentioned, the loose change guys, people barely know him. Alex Jones, strong following. Who else has been banned from platforms? Joe Rogan, strong following. Uh, Robert Malone, medical doctor, very strong following. Did did getting him kicked off of like LinkedIn and Twitter help? No, of course not, you know? And it's only empowering what these people say. Now, there's uh, some points to be made having listened to the episode, whether he's, how much of what he says is accurate or not. But the thing is, we're no longer having that debate. Now the debate is what don't they want you to know? And so it's really, and I I would be remiss to say this because I do think if you can, and as a libertarian, this is where, where we've stood forever. If you are allowed to refuse to serve a homosexual, then of course you are allowed to refuse to serve Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, right. She is worse. Like the, the one is an innocent person. She's terrible. Right. So, you know, on on one hand, I understand how hypocritical this can sound. And in case some cases is from libertarians because they'll raise a huge cry all of a sudden if if this restaurant is forced to serve this homosexual. No, you should never have to bake that cake. And ah, I'm going to freak out. And this is the worst thing to ever happen. And then all of a sudden Marjorie Taylor Greene gets banned. And then it's she was so good. You can't ban her. She was amazing. And I'm like, yeah, you're kind of exposing your, your, your agendas a little bit when all of a sudden it's, you're, you're very upset when a cake shop is forced to serve homosexuals. But, uh, you know, Marjorie Taylor green, you know, uh, Taylor green gets banned and all of a sudden you just, you can't even think straight, you know, like that, like, okay, look, it's uh, so deep breath here. I am not suggesting that Twitter should be forced to serve her. That is absolutely not the case. What I am saying, though, is you need to think about the effects of your actions when you do this. Are you actually getting rid of the information? Or are you just empowering her all the more? I mean, just look at how it happens when people are discriminatory towards homosexuals. Did it make homosexuality go away? Or did it make people unite with them because you did them wrong, right? So people look at the the person who was aggressed against and they say, you know, I feel really bad for that person. You know, in this case, people are going to look at Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene and they say, I'm going to feel real bad for it because she's not allowed to say what you want. They're violating her free speech or whatever it is. It's not even true, but <coughs> it's hard to disagree with. I, I... Obviously, I I dislike her. I wish we were at a point in this country where we could just say, like, I don't want to serve her Um, and have that and have everybody just be like, oh, yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Unfortunately, we're kind of at this point where you're better off serving people that you don't like 
and letting things take care of itself from there. Um, I think as far as social media goes. Anyhow, that's just my personal opinion on that one. Uh, Brian, let's have a piece of your mind. Oh, you're muted, by the way. Well, you look I apologize. I, I, this was going to be a tough one. I, I kind of almost went down the Antonio Brown route uh, just mm. simply because I, and, and you know what? Uh, since I got that, I'll go ahead and go that route here. So um, this was recorded uh, Sunday night, the second, and Antonio Brown today quit in the middle of a football game. Uh, they were losing to the Jets. Not sure what provoked it, but he promptly took off his, uh, his pads, his uh, jersey, uh, some other stuff, threw it into the stands, did some jumping jacks, and waved goodbye to his NFL career. Um, we can look at it and just say that that's pure ego, that it's uh, a terrible person losing out and just doing an impulsive thing that's going to go ahead and uh, dominate the, their dying days, and that they're going to regret this forever. But there's something else in play here. And if you take a look at this, and Antonio Brown's been kind of a um, an experiment, I want to say, in the NFL. Um, a lot of Antonio Brown's behaviors come from one specific day and actually started after one specific event. And that was the illegal hit uh, by uh, Vontez Buffett, I believe it is, on the Bengals back in, I believe, 2017. Um, Antonio Brown was coming across the middle, uh, missed on a pass from Roethlisberger. Yes, Roethlisberger threw it a little high. That's just how life is. And he got walloped by uh, Vontaze Buffett. And I'm pronouncing his name wrong, so I apologize. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Like perfect um, with a B. Yeah. So, anyhow, when he got walloped, he was out. Um, Antonio Brown's had a history of concussions before then. And if you take a look at his behavior after that time frame, you'll see that things have changed. His pronunciation changed. He said that he was knocked out cold, uh, was out cold before he hit the ground. He doesn't even remember hitting the ground. And when you see the hit on him, you go, that was pretty significant. I think that we're going to find out here in the next five to 10 years that uh, Antonio Brown's been suffering from CTE, pretty extensive CTE. Now, unfortunately, at this point, we can't diagnose it until he's no longer with us. Um, but this should be a warning call to the NFL and all the people who are calling him a quitter and things like that. Yes, probably some of it's justified, but if you look at the behavioral changes, what Antonio Brown's done post the, the uh, hit that he took, it's a pretty clear line that that hit may have set off the effects that caused this. And this is something that I think is important to understand is that there are a lot of things in politics and things like that that can go back to a singular event such as this. These are the things that we have to look for, and these are the things that we have to kind of maybe take a little bit of precaution before we judge somebody. I'm not an Antonio Brown fan. I'm not a big fan of the Steelers. I, of course, love to be losing for the past four years. Um, <laughs> my Bears jersey. Um, but that being said, he's still a person, and seeing the what happened today really looks more like a cry for help for someone who can't control their impulses. Um, and as we know, there's a lot of impulsive behavior in this world and a lot of people with impulsive behaviors. So I think it's time that probably we start taking a closer look at this and realize that people like this need help. Um, the one thing that does come to mind, of course, is Dave Durison, who was a Chicago bear who committed suicide. Thankfully, he was the one that was the wake up call to the rest of the NFL. 
when he killed himself, he didn't, he preserved his brain in the process and they were able to determine that he had extensive CTE. And if you look at his behaviors, they're very similar to what Antonio Brown's going through now. So it's probably time for us to all watching NFL, take a deep breath and say, we really, even though we're doing more about concussions, we probably need to do some more because there's going to be more Antonio Browns over the next decade. Yeah. I, uh, this is a this is a tough one um, for me. Uh, so I grew up idolizing Junior Seau growing up in San Diego, um, and that's another one who killed himself to look at his brain and then, of course, extensive CT. And again, just such a decline in character. Just one of those people who was the hard who was a hard worker, super nice guy, making time for everything. Um, there's a there's a fantastic thirty for thirty. Um, I think it's just called Seau. Um, for those of you who have ESPN, um, if you don't get a chance, it's worth paying for, um, at least from my Pirate end, but, it. Pirate yeah. it. They make enough Pirate money. Yarr, if you must, you know, but it's worth seeing. Um, and of course, and this is a big one. I don't know if I've ever uh, shared this with you guys before. I, um, my, my, when I played football in college, I went to the University of Northern Colorado. And my freshman year, when I first got to the football team, um was vincent jackson's last year there and i played with him i was in the secondary and he was a wide receiver as you might guess he kicked my ass <laughs> as he was in every practice he was way better than me in every aspect of life um and he recently uh brain, pro- brain problems because of concussions and drank himself to death um in an apartment and that was somewhat uh, uh i guess that was within like this last year and that was um that was really hard because I gotta say I, I've known a couple um that that's of course the closest link that I have I don't have like tons of connections with the NFL that was like kind of it was cool that I got to n- know yeah. him for during that brief time right um how many people go to the University of Northern Colorado I only went to the University of Northern Colorado for a year eventually you know my speech and debate stuff took me elsewhere um but I, I played against him and I remember in practice and you know I would have a good play or like good rounds and he's just so encouraging and it was so you know everybody knew the eyes were on him everybody there knew and 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 of course they would never be like go easy on him i mean of course they wanted me to do my best as well and everything like that and i'm you know b squad whatever freshman and he's you know superstar of of the of the whole the whole system but you know i remember having a good game and and was lucky enough to have my mom actually watch it and stuff where I actually like did well. I, I, I limited him to without a catch during the scrimmage and it's not like a full representation of a game or something, but it's a proud moment for me. And I remember afterwards, instead of, you know, cause a lot of other players that were a lot worse than Vincent Jackson would get up in your face and be like, who the F do you think you are? And, you know, act like all this. And he was such a happy, nice, shining person. Um, and 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 really just a almost supernatural kind of way when everybody knew the scouts were looking at him and he kept a smile upon his face and so when that happened um when he ended up alone it was just i could just tell he was the last person it would happen to as far as drinking himself to death alone in a hotel room and and not answering calls from anybody until he died it just wasn't him you know it's just not they, they change their personas when these kinds of things happen. And there's, there's ways around it. There's another great 30 for 30 about the 85 bears um, that J- Jim McMahon um, 
boy, uh, his career unfortunately cut short because of the cheapest hit in NFL history. Oh, um, yeah. Way after, way after um, everything. And his brain was filled with this muck, and he had to get these procedures in order to drain it, and he still goes through them, and he still has permanent brain damage because of it. And, but it's it's possible as lo- to be treated as long as you know, you know, as long as you get that treatment. And I like what you're saying, Brian, because it's important that these people get the help. And a lot of these people, here's what they mean by the help, is you're not allowed to play football anymore, or mm-hmm. you're allowed to play football and we pretend like nothing's going on. Neither of those things constitute help. And, and I think that it's time for a serious conversation, especially when we deal with concussions um, and changing personalities. Because unfortunately, CTAE, we kind of can't know until you're dead. Um, and, and that's, that's unfortunate. We, we've, we've developed some systems, thankfully, that have, have been able to kind of help diagnose it. But we all see these behavioral changes taking place. You know, uh, Antonio Brown, I mean, what? Uh, they settled out of court, but sexually assaulted uh, a friend that he had been business partners with forever that they had had no issues with prior to this. And it was, it was, it was that 2017, I think it happened in in June and then, you know, happened again in 2018. Um, And you just kind of say like these aggressive sexual, you know, person was not there before. In the case of Dave Durison, he's like, I don't want to be treating my my friends and family like this. I I don't know what's going on. You know, his note is so sad. The police study my brain. I mean, it's just where they know something's off with themselves. Um, it is important to get them some help, and there are treatments that we have that can help. Um, that, but it involves recognizing that the person has a problem. It doesn't necessarily mean benching them for life or kicking them out of the league, but it does mean recognizing that there's a problem, maybe taking it easy for a few weeks and just saying like, Hey, here's, here's a treatment process that we're going to undergo. Antonio Brown has had two kinds of people in, in his life. One is the complete enabler. He's, Oh, that's just Antonio Brown. Just what the just AB things, right? This is just AB things, you know, everything's fine. Everything's fine. He's totally fine. You know, everybody needs to lay off of his case. And those people have been in oblivious. And then the other type of person in Antonio Brown's life has been ban him forever, you know, cut him off from society and, you know, and, and to heck with him. And I don't think either of those is, is appropriate. Um, I I do hope that we, we develop better, at least in recognizing when somebody's change and changing and getting them some help. I I think the easiest way to do that though, obviously Hody is that if someone has to retire due to possible CTE, and, and I think some of these players are getting smart enough, like the Andrew Luck thing, Andrew Luck, knew that he had a family coming and things like that. And he retired. And I think if you would have done that five years earlier, there would have been such an outcry and, and calling a pariah for how dare he. Now the way it was an outcry already. There was an outcry. I was at the game when it happened. <laughs> I was at the you game. You show me those pictures. That was unreal. Yeah. Oh, it's like, where it? there, there's Andrew. There's this yeah. crowd of the reporters yeah. screaming at him. But, um, but the thing is this, he's not looked at anymore as a pariah. He's looked at as, wow, yeah, he knew it was time to go and it's time to go. I think what the NFL can do very simply is just go ahead when these people are, are going through these problems 
know that it's CT, you know you have a history on this, start doing some real research here. Tell them that the NFL will guarantee their contract. Trust me, the NFL is making plenty of money. Guarantee their contract, the rest of their contract. That should give them enough and get them the help they need. And don't put them back on the playing field. And it sucks. And we're going to see a lot of people leave the league early. But uh, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm okay with that. And if the product goes down a little bit, I'm okay with that too. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so like an interesting person to look into is uh, Dr. Amen. He does like... Um, yep. If you've heard of him, he does that yeah. spec brain imaging and all that. It's yeah. pretty neat. So, like, he'll talk about, you know, they'll they'll do, like, CAT scans or whatever and look at how the brain looks. And he says, but that doesn't tell you, how, like, how it operates. So, like, if you drop a laptop, is it still operating correctly? And so what this does is they basically inject something into your blood, and then they measure blood flow in your brain. So it's really cool. It's a definite rabbit hole to go down. Um, but... Uh, in their clinic, they train all their physicians to ask people at least 10 times if they've ever had a, like a brain injury. So they'll just keep asking them. And then yeah. a lot of these people will find out, yeah, you know, I fell off this or I fell off that. And so there's a lot of people genetically who just are born with issues with their brain. And a lot of people just do have brain injuries. And <laughs> like I said, I, I struggle with like ADD and focus issues and stuff. And I've got a I've hit my head a lot of times, so I'm like, well, like growing up, because I didn't know it was bad for you, I guess. <laughs> you know, like you're ice skating and you dodge someone, you hit your head on the wall. It's like, well, you still dodged them, you know, but um, yeah. so I, I think I think the whole uh, like there's just a lot of I think you shouldn't judge anyone in a lot of senses. Um, I, I try not to judge anyone for anything like they do something completely nuts. And I'm just like, well. I don't know what your family life is like. I don't know if you have a traumatic brain injury. I don't know if you just have something genetically wrong with you. And I, I think when you, when you watch that, they did, he needed healthy brain scans to compare to the unhealthy brain scans. So he tried to find a whole bunch of healthy people to get their healthy brain scans. And like, it was almost impossible. Um, so I, I just think... Yep. And to tie it into the NFL, um, yeah, like um, I think we need to start getting I, – I don't want to say no to football, obviously, but like for my kids and stuff, I, I don't really want them playing football. I'd rather them play yeah. something that doesn't involve you hitting your head. Um, like e if I can, like just we're learning these things. Let's just avoid, avoid using your head for contact in any way. <laughs> I, I will tell you, I, I even though I got a concussion in it, playing rugby, I think is the best contact sport. Oh, yeah. yeah, and even though you can get a concussion very easily and stuff, like that, in fact, that's what me and forty something going saying my midlife crisis. I'm going to play rugby and got a concussion in a ruck and went and played afterwards and said I'm not right, and that was the end of it because I wasn't about to screw up my brain again. Um, that I think is probably the best contact sport out there. And hopefully that gains traction here in the States. It, it has, it is solely. So we were, we were you're, playing, playing yep. broom ball one time and this kid just got walloped on the head on the ice oh. and he, and he sat down and I'm yeah. like, just don't play again. Like just sit this out, <laughs> like just sit there. Like, and he's like, no, I think I'm fine. I think I'm going to go back. It's like, don't, no. you're no. an idiot. Don't do it. And he's like, well, I didn't throw up. I'm like, oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> 
there really is a there really is a toughness element to it though that you feel like you're you're wussing out if you don't you know go back in there and and as well as a knowledge element i think there's a lot of i i did not know that i had a concussion when i blacked out you know and i, I have told the story about my first play in uh college football before where I got pretty much knocked out, but was standing up and was just like back and forth. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even think of a concussion. Honestly, I didn't know what it was at the time. And I was over there in college, you know, I just, for me, it was just like, yeah, sometimes you get hit hard and you get a little bit fuzzy and then you, you go back at it, you know, and I hadn't heard the term. Now I, I, at least I believe I'm okay. I went on to do some, intellectual things in my life that makes my brain feel like it's okay but it's not a matter of becoming stupid it's a matter of like the the way your synapses are firing and sometimes they'll just this very you know if you were non-aggressive before sometimes things just start firing over there in in an area that you kind of had siphoned off and and in, in a way that shouldn't be there um i do hope for more sports that are i have at least myself started looking more into to sports where I'm kind of okay. I think the tough thing about football is you kind of choose with the, especially with the helmets, we first develop them and they create a ton of concussions. Now they create less concussions. I almost want to like get rid of them and have no concussions. Yeah. They, they have uh, less head trauma. But the trade off right? is the yeah. trade off is then you get scars, right? Like you're yeah. going to, you could, the guys wear, you could wear headgear that's soft at least. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the thing is that rugby's got, I think, a slightly different culture uh, than, than football does. If you do a high tackle, I mean, most of it is taking legs out and stuff like that or going to the body. If you take a high tackle, that's a penalty and you get thrown out. I mean, you may be sitting for, for 10 minutes or you may be out of the game. Uh, even if it's accidental. So that's been one thing that I will below say. Below the waist? Is that how you have to tackle? Uh, body and stuff like that. It's more grabbing at the body. And, and just as Ron said, it's it's good tackling technique. And when you don't have shoulder pads and a helmet on, you tend to take care of your head a little bit better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's kind of like when you grab that person to tackle and you're going down, you're just, just going, yeah, I don't want my head to hit or anything like that. So I've heard of that even with kids. Like if you put a helmet on them, like they're more likely to yeah, to crash, sure. hit their head, basically. Yeah. And and I never understood. I mean, I played a little bit, but it's like ever get your hand hand caught between two helmets hitting? That hurts a hell of a <laughs> lot. <laughs> Let alone cleat going through, but, but two hell, you know, put your hand up and it's like Oh, I've been lucky to avoid that. Oh, no, never again. Um, oh, I want to do one thing real quick before Ron Milver is stuck through this today and even suffering through his Vikings getting absolutely decimated, apparently, <laughs> by the Packers. I'm sorry, Ron, but hey, thanks for sticking through it tonight. <laughs> I stopped watching the Vikings. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, you're from Minnesota, aren't you? Yeah, okay. okay yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's okay. It's all it's it's all bad. Yep. Yeah, big recognition for Ron. Exactly. Ron. By the way, he says uh, Dewerson went to Muncie Northside with his sister. Yep. So we've got mm -hmm. some interesting connections there. Yeah, some really tragic ones that we seem to have uh, apparently in this uh, in this chat. But uh, yeah, you know, I I think Sam, I, I I think your point was very good about not judging anybody. The more I think about it, I had somebody propose this once years ago. Where he says, are there bad people or just broken people? 
man, and the more I think about it, I understand, like, and this is a matter of opinion, but I kind of lead towards the just broken people thing. The more I get older, the more I realize there's not, even the people that I hate the most usually just end up needing some form of education and correction. You know, and usually they're in a situation. And when I look at, especially when I, when I mean, we're libertarians. Look, this is a libertarian podcast. We criticize politicians. I get it. They're bad people, right? But the issue is that they're in a system of enablement. They are, and that's part of the problem is this lack of accountability. And not just to say like accountability as far as getting elected, but as far as just saying like, I got to be honest, just an average human being. If you authorized a missile strike and you believed it was the right thing at the time that ended up killing a family of eight and, and, you know, a guy who was delivering water and who was a good guy and it just, your information was bad. I got to say, just as a normal human being, you would be in tears. I mean, you would come before the nation and just say, I am heartbroken right now. I honestly thought it was this. I authorize it. I feel miserable right now. Instead, what do you usually get is silence, deflection, mistakes happen. But that's not a normal thing, right? This is not a normal way the mind operates. The normal way when you massacre a family of eight is to get very sad and they are just in this situation. I mean, especially when you look at somebody like Joe Biden, who spent his life in this, you know, is just say, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Well, at some point, I want that the accountability that would make it my fault. Like, I want to be able to say, well, if it's not my fault when it's bad, is it my responsibility when it's good? You know, and, and, and I think that you know, a lot of our politicians, the people who seek political power, they are broken people. Um, you know, you got elevated suicide rates. You got, I mean, they're usually cheating on each other. I mean, you got embezzlement left and right. I mean, it's a, their, their social lives are a mess, you know, Is and so, and naturally, as are their professional lives. And Nobody's impressed with the job any politicians are doing right now. I, I don't care who's answering yes. They think America's politicians are doing good on those polls. If you're one of like the 5% of people, I'd love to come talk with you on the show. I, I, I need to pick your brain a little bit about how you how you think they're doing a good job. I, you I, know, I say we nominate them for CTE scans. Okay, first, that's the first thing. <laughs> right. You know, but I, I think I think a lot of it is a matter of of like what we what we're talking about with this Antonio Brown. You got a lot of people that are saying, "F you, you are my mortal enemy, no matter what." And then you've got the other half of people being like, "No, you've never done anything wrong. You're doing everything perfectly." And everybody's witnessing people that are just kind of fundamentally out of out of whack. And I got to say, having worked on several campaigns. I never wanted to campaign myself because I saw that they had to go through. And it's not something a normal person would want to put themselves through. Like it, it, it's, it's, con I mean, when I say dealing with like talking and trying to get donations, I'm talking 16 hours of your waking day, um, trying to hook up donations and endorsements and stuff. And you are lucky if you get a two hour charity dinner where you're, where you're not allowed to look at your phone or whatever, because, Hey, that's like the one break that you get. It's miserable. 
And so the fact that anybody would sign up for the job and then keep signing up for the job to keep doing it indicates to me that something is going on with them. Um, now, obviously, we still got to call them out when they're wrong. But I think the converse idea and probably where I differ from some libertarians is that I don't want to I don't believe the solution is crucifying them all. I'm not sure that the solution is even imprisoning them all. But I do think that we need to have a moment where they just say, you realize that what you did is you blew up a family of eight. How does that make you feel? Tell me about it. And then have like a psychologist, like kind of guide them through it and be like, okay, now I understand that I'm not special. You know, I'm just a person. And, and I think that that would help them. I think these superstar athletes get it. Sometimes pig-headed lawyers or doctors get it. And I think politicians get it too, that either everybody's already denounced them as evil or everybody says, oh, no, everything you do is perfect. And it, it prevents them from getting the help that they need. Um, yeah, I guess there, that's probably the last time you'll hear me preach compassion towards politicians on the show. But I do <laughs> think there is some point where we need to. It, I, unfortunately, they're so inaccessible. You know, and and this is the problem that we have is I, I don't have a means of reaching out to Joe Biden and just being like, man, you must feel miserable right now. No, I, I don't have it. Like, well, it's not there. I, I, I think <laughs> that they give themselves enough, quote, plausible deniability. Oh, well, that I, I we based it off the best intelligence we had at the time. And darn it, that's just how it is. The best way well, to fix all that, of course, is to term limit the shit out of all of them. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> well, and the other thing is the government's so diversified that, you know, everyone's just pointing fingers at everyone else. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't matter that the mission is, you know, so scattered and things like that. And that there's groups that have their own little fiefdoms. And, no, oh, I don't want to share information with that person because that person said something naughty about me at a party, blah, 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 blah. It's all these little fiefdoms of power that are all just... Just, yeah, and, yeah. none of them want to play nicely with each other, except they want to play nice with their tax dollars with each other. So there's that. Yeah, it's an ecosystem of illness. Well, everybody, welcome to the new year. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Samuel, thank you for subbing in for Lou last minute. I really appreciate it, and I love talking to you. Brian, as always, hey, congrats to your bears today. And uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for. I think you're the only happy one of all of us here because uh what Christy Next that's year. the that's Detroit. Uh yeah. Ron Sammy got the Vikings oh, and the Broncos. Yeah, I think you're the only happy dude in the uh in the party right now. Here. I you know what the funny thing is this I, I have a bad feeling it's gonna keep Nagy for another year. I just have a bad feeling that they're gonna keep it for another year. But Boy. um yeah. The, the guy would love him to hire is Leslie Frazier, who was on the 85 Bears. He's a hell of a defensive coordinator. So he's doing really well with Buffalo. Let's see if he can do a better job this time around as opposed to when he was with Minnesota, which just seemed terrible. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, Sam. That's, sorry. Sam. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm used to it. I'm a libertarian. Well, being a Vikings fan prepared me for being a libertarian. <laughs> being a Bears fan did as well, you know. <laughs> Maybe They're just like, we're not going to win. I'm like, what's that got to do with anything? <laughs> well, I've at least had some fairly recent good times with the Broncos, at least. Uh, at least in my lifetime, good times. Uh, yeah. Hey, everybody, have a good night. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you next week.